Thank you that you do love children. Thank you that children can worship you. Children can follow you. Children can grow in you. And I pray you, pray you, you would bless them as they go to Friends of Jesus. Bless their instructors as they, as they learn more about what it means to be a follower, a disciple, a child of God. And may the same thing happen to us as we hear your word, as we, as we experience uh, your spirits speaking to us through the preaching of the holy word of God. And uh, bless not just the words I say, but may the spirit use the words I say uh, to bring uh, sanctification to our lives that we might uh, really praise you and enjoy you. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Good morning. You're the these are the you're the ones who did who couldn't make the early service because it's too cold, right? <laughs> it's a cold day this morning, cold weekend. But the Lord has been good, and pray, I pray the worship has warmed your your heart as it's warmed my heart uh, today. We're we're in a series. We're calling it um, that you might believe. Signs, wonders from John's gospel. The fourth gospel is a gospel that, that points to to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's where it's heading. To, we're heading towards that. But God wants us to believe to believe in the son of Jesus, the son of the living God. And, and today we have a, a, one of the healing stories of, of, of John's gospel. The, the, the passage is John chapter 4, verses 46 to 54. If you find that, stand and let's listen to the reading of God's uh, word, the text for this morning's message. <clears throat> Speaking of Jesus now. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son. But he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked him the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. God's word. Maybe seated. We can trust God because he's at work in our lives and he's seeking to strengthen our faith. God's seeking to strengthen us. We can trust him because he's doing that. The, the context in this gospel, the, the last couple of chapters, uh, Jesus, has, of course, he's been speaking. He's been in Judea, at the temple, clearing the temple, the things that were going on there. And then, then he went up to Samaria. We looked at that a few weeks ago. Women at the well, that discussion he had with her is Samaria, Samaria the city of Sychar, experienced a revival. And how, then now we're at the end of, that, of this, this chapter 4. The map there, just to remind you of that, the, 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 if you see at the top left, you see Cana there, and you see Capernaum at the top of the Sea of Galilee, about 20 mile distance. Cana is that hilly region. Jesus is there, and, he's, and, and again, he's there, the place where he turned water into wine. And Capernaum, which was kind of the home base for the ministry, but right now he's not, that's not where he is. But this is where the man is who, who has a son with this need. The ESV study Bible says this, 
these, now there's a difference of opinion about who this man was, but the ESV study Bible says the man was a Gentile working in Herod's house. He was clearly working in Herod's house. The question is, was he a Gentile or a Jew? ESV study Bible. The John, John shows Jesus bringing the gospel to a respected Jewish teacher, that's Nicodemus in chapter 3, and then to outcast Samaritan women, that's the, the one with the well in chapter 4, and then to an official working for the Roman government, and thus, by implication from these examples, to everyone in the world. So, so a Jew, a loose Samaritan woman, and Roman government official is, 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 is what we have here. And the point is chapter 4, verse 42, which is a previous, uh, in a previous paragraph, that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. The world. Not just the Jewish people. Not just the Roman people. Not just the Samaritan people. Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. He came to his own, the own world received him not. But there are three things in this passage about God that I want us to see. This is a healing story, and the healing stories always have interesting things. I want to look at three things about God that we can learn and draw out from this passage. One is that he, he, he ministers to sons. Two, he gives signs. And three, he shows up in the seventh hour. You'll understand what the seventh hour is as we come along. We, we have a God who ministers to sons. Verse 46, 47, and, and then verse 49. And again, the story, the man is an official, the house of Herod, but he's a father. He's a father, and as a father, he's concerned about his son who is very sick, very sick. He has a fever. In fact, he's close to death. In verse 47, the, the, the man travels 20 miles from Cana to Capernaum, searching for Jesus, the miracle-working rabbi whom he's heard can make, maybe make a difference in this situation. Verse 47, he says, the text says, he asked Jesus to come heal his son. That's, just, that's a very soft translation. He's begging. He's pleading. He's pleading. It's, a, it's, it's, it's repeated. It's a persistent pleading on behalf of his sick son. Notice in verse 49, again, the reason for the urgency is because the son is very, very sick, close, close to death, and this man knows this major crisis. Maybe Jesus can do something. So just as this father cares for the sick boy, we need to understand that God cares for the sick boy. And so the Son of God willed to do something as a sign for this man and for all of us. We know that God cares for all people, yes. He cares for sons and daughters, for friends, for parents, for, for cousins. But here this story specifically, it, 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 it's a son. I don't want to minimize the ministry of of God to young women. That's a very important. But this passage, I want to focus a little bit on God's ministry and his love and care for young men, for sons, because there's a son in crisis here. And I believe in our world today, there's one of the many crises of our world is a crisis uh, of young men. Just um, yesterday, last night, I saw uh, uh, the story of two young uh, boys, one age 20, one age 17, who were arrested. Uh, first degree assault and, and burglary. On January 1st at 4 a.m., so this is New Year's night, uh, in the morning after New Year's night, 4 a.m., they broke into a house of an 83-year-old woman and beat her and stole $200. Um, she, um, she was, you know, bloodied in, in the hospital, and she's still recovering from uh, those injuries. She's still hospitalized over a month ago. Um, and as I, as I heard that story, a couple, one thing just, just, just hit me is, is, is the, the tragedy of, a, of, a, of, of two young men who would do that to an 83-year-old woman. Weak and frail, I'm assuming. 83 years old, and yet they take advantage of her uh, in that way. 
brutalizing her. It reminded me of, of, of 2 Timothy chapter 3. It says, that in the last days, there will be no natural affection. There's, most people have some sense of a natural affection, some sense of care for an elderly woman, but no. That, that's, the, that's the state, in one sense, of, what, where, of the crisis of young men who are losing, who, who, who don't have this natural instinct that we believe God has, has given human beings. Washington Post um, article um, by Naomi Way, professor of applied psychology at NYU. Uh, deep secrets, boys' friendships and the crisis of connection. Uh, she, the friendship crisis, why are boys so lonely and violent? Lonely and violent. She says on the average, uh, uh, there are 130, 1.37 school shootings each week of the school year, and overwhelmingly these acts are perpetuated by isolated and angry young men. While there's a lot of talk about the need for tighter gun control and better treatment of the mentally ill, the roots of this horrifying trend go much deeper. Our culture prizes independence over human connection. It devalues and even discourages close friendships, particularly among boys and men. And our definitions of manhood emphasize aggression, toughness, rugged individualism. Now we know these aspects of our culture lie at the root of the problem, not only because the killers tell us in their journals, but science has also been telling us so for decades. We simply aren't paying attention. Neuroscientists, developmental science, uh, psychologists, evolutionary anthropologists, primatologists, and health researchers agree. Humans need and want close relationships, including friendships. And when they don't have them, there are serious physical and mental health consequences. There's something going on, a crisis of young men. We, Terry and I have been blessed to, to have five children, four are, are young men. And, and we, we thank God often that they survived their, their young years because we know many young men don't, particularly young black men in the city don't. We're very thankful that God has, has uh, preserved them and they're, they're doing well. It's, it's interesting I, I, that I, I, they've had the ups and downs. I, I was thinking about the fact that we, we, we've been blessed in one sense, you know, there's, there's no major drug issues or alcohol issues. The, the, some, some of the blight that uh, that's so often happens to urban young guys. We, we have, uh, by God's grace, not had to deal with some of that stuff. Um, I, I was thinking that we have not had, we've never had one of our sons spend the night in jail. I was thinking about that once. Now, I had to go pick up one from the jail one evening, but he didn't spend the whole night there. I won't tell you which one that was. I'll let the, leave that to your imagination. But God has been good to us, and, uh, and yet we still are, are praying for them. We, we, we trust. But there's, a, there's something going on in our society that we need to be alert to. Um, we need to understand also the, by, by the way, that reminds me, we need to, we need to really, uh, if, 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 I just want to give another plug for the, the workshop that Kim Suter's having in a couple of Saturdays. I'll be there. I'll have to be there and uh, taking notes because, uh, again, we all, no matter where we are, we need to, to grow in these areas. But I also want to see the potential of, of what God can do through young men. You've heard us, many, you've heard Craig and I talking about this guy, John Perkins, a great leader of the Christian Community Development uh, 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 Ministry. Uh, that's him, Vera May, his children, and of course in Sofa, we're looking at Spencer Rice, one of his sons, in the book with Chris, excuse me, Spencer Perkins and Chris Rice, their book. Um, John Perkins was in Mississippi, discouraged, went to California, he was through, he was mad at white people, et cetera, et cetera, and, and in California, in the Los Angeles area, his son, Spencer, got saved. 
at, at a kids' meet, a, a Bible, kids' Bible study kind of thing. And, I, and he was the first person in that family to come to Christ. And so when he became, when he became a Christian, uh, uh, John and Vera May said, hey, let's check this out. What is, you know, so they, be, they went to that church, and they became Christian. And the whole family became transformed. And then God called Perkins back to Mississippi to do all the things that he became popular doing. It began as God touched the heart of his boy. God wants to, submit, God wants to minister not just to young boys and young girls, but, but, but because he can minister through them to us adults. And we adults need the ministry of God. God needs to build our faith as well. Second thing I want to see in this passage about God is he gives us faith strengthening signs. Signs. He gives us signs. Um, and this, this, is, this, pad, this healing is called one of the signs, the second sign here in Cana. <clears throat> upon hearing, Jesus, upon hearing the man, man's need in verse 48, says something very interesting. And did you notice that? Somewhat, it sounds like a soft rebuke. Verse 48. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. <laughs> when you read that, you say, wow, Jesus, what are you doing here? You know, one thing that's important in, in, in the original language is that the you is not a singular. It's a plural. And Jesus is not talking, he's not rebuking that man. He's giving a general principle that, that for all to hear, for those who, who, heard, who are watching that conversation, for, for all of us who would write that, who would listen to what's written. So he's not specifically trying to give a rebuke to that man. Signs. Signs is used 17 times in the Gospel of John. And a, a sign is not the thing, but it points to the thing. Let me say that again. <laughs> a sign is not the thing, but it points to the thing. So what are the, the question isn't just what is the sign. What is the sign pointing to? It's pointing to something else, something, something that you want. First time, I remember the first time driving, uh, actually riding, riding to Chicago to seminary. Uh, I went to seminary in the north part of Chicago. Um, you, you start seeing signs, uh, Chicago, 100 miles, Chicago, 50 miles to go, you know, 25 miles to go. Then you finally, you get to the Illinois state line, and you, you're in Chicago. There's a sign, welcome to Chicago. And I made the mistake of thinking that, okay, I'm almost at the seminary. I had another half, another, another hour to go. But one of the things about a sign is because you come to the sign, you're not there, you, you aren't finished yet. The sign points to something else. And the miracles of Jesus... The great things Jesus, the signs and wonders, are not just there for us to experience the joy of the signs and wonders. They're there to point us to something. And what are they pointing us to? The reality that the one who does the signs is the Savior of the world. He's the Son of the living God. And that by believing in him, we can have life, life eternal. The signs are pointing to something. Jesus turned water into wine. He's the son of God who's the preserver of the party. That's what Craig talked about a couple weeks ago, last week. And here, this physical healing by Jesus points to the spiritual healing that comes to those who place their faith in Christ. The word believe, the word believe, I, I noticed this week that um, the verb or participle form of belief is used 241 times in the New, the New Testament. And John's gospel uses them 98 times. 98 of the 241 usages is in John's gospel. It's an important word for him. And then he uses other words, synonyms. Receiving Jesus, abiding, remaining in Jesus, coming to Jesus, eating and drinking of Jesus. Believing in Jesus is very important to, to John's message. It's probably the key, one of the key themes. In John 11, he says the disciples believed on him. John, John 2, 11. John 2, 24, the people believed because of the signs. But Jesus 
didn't give himself to them because he knew what was in man. Interesting phrase there. In John chapter 3, he gives the gospel to Nicodemus, and Nicodemus didn't believe it yet. Seems that eventually in the gospel he did believe. But at that point, he didn't believe. And Jesus continues in that passage, pointing to, to the, 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 the serpent that Moses stood up in the wilderness in Numbers chapter 21. And even as, as, as Moses lifted up that snake in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, talking about himself. But God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever would believe him should not perish, but have eternal life. Believe. Believe in the cross. That's, that's the essence of where Jesus wants us to, to, to go. Then in, in chapter 4, again, uh, the Samaritan woman, the long conversation, and she believed quickly when she heard the gospel. She believed quickly after she understood it, and she drank of the living water, and she goes back, and the revival in the city of Sychar began. Believe, believe, believe. So here in this passage, we have also believing. We have believing as well. There's also some social economic aspects to the ministry of Jesus that, that I think John wants us to understand. He served uh, Galilean peasant workers in, in, the, in the second chapter, and he also was a guest at a wedding. He served them. He served the Jewish ruler, a Pharisee. He served a loose, socially outcast woman from the despised uh, uh, Samaritans. And here, a well-respected royal officer. All kinds of people being served by Jesus, being loved by Jesus, showing that God loves all kinds of people because Jesus is the Savior of the world. We need to address this, though, this purpose of signs. And, and, and that, because Jesus, at first glance, seems to contradict himself from other passages in the New Testament. We want to look first at, this, at, at comparing this passage with another passage in the New Testament, Luke chapter 7. Because both these stories have something that's, very, that's so similar that some people think it's the same story. I believe it's not. Both of these healings are what I would call, what I like, they're, they're long-distance healings. I like, to talk, I like to call them the remote control healing because I'm a TV guy. You know, in the old days, before some of you were born, <laughs> you didn't have remote controls. To change the channel on the TV, you had to get up and turn, physically touch the TV and, and, and press a button or turn a knob. Okay? How many of you, how many of you old like me remember that, doing that? Well, nowadays we have remote control. Sometimes we have two or three remote controls, right? You know, doing different things. And so you don't have to, you, you want to change the channel, you let your fingers do the walking. You push a button, boom, there it is. There are several times in Jesus' ministry where he healed people and didn't touch them, didn't, wasn't even in their presence. Luke chapter 7 and this passage right here. And so some people, because of that similarity, think that they're, it's the same healing story. And of course, um, these are the, the cynics, the skeptics who conclude that Luke and John are recording the same healing and that therefore the gospel writers can't be trusted because they got the details wrong. And they're saying that we should just ignore the details and just look at what the essence of the story is. Then Matthew focuses on a main point and John focuses on a main point. But the main thing is that the healing took place and just wasn't there. That's all you need to know. Don't worry about the details. That's what some would say. Let me please see, put this chart up here. How do you react? I don't think it works like that. It doesn't work like that. Upon further review, I think we can easily see that John is describing a similar but very different miracle than Luke and Matthew in their gospel. Here's a couple of the differences. Um, Jesus is in Capernaum in Luke's gospel, 
and in, in John's gospel, he's a Canaan, a ghost. Uh, in Luke's gospel, the man is a Roman centurion. In John's gospel, it's kind of ambiguous. He, he's clearly working in, in a, the, the Jewish uh, court of Herod. Some think he was Jewish, some think he was Gentile. But it's more of a Jewish situation. The sickness in, in Luke's gospel is paralysis. In John's gospel, it's a fever. In Luke's gospel, the man's servant is healed. In John's gospel, it's his son. Different man, different, different situation. In, in, in Luke's gospel, there, there, there's an indirect uh, plea or beseeching because the man sends the elders of the Jews to Jesus. Luke gives us that detail. Not, I mean, Matthew, not, according to Luke, excuse me, Luke, Luke gives that detail. And, but in John, the man goes directly. He goes himself to Jesus. And then the, the main thing for the point of where we are here in, our, in, in this, this point, uh, in Luke's gospel, the man has incredibly strong faith from the beginning. In fact, Jesus commends him. I have not seen faith like this in all of Israel, Jesus says to the centurion. But here in our passage, man has weak faith. And Jesus is building his faith. There's a progression of his faith. In fact, that is the main essence of this story. My point simply is, not the same miracle, folks. Does it make sense that Jesus did more than one miracle like that? It makes a lot of sense. In fact, John chapter 21, uh, we're, we're told that Jesus did all kinds of miracles. Remember the last, the, the last, very last verse of the Gospel of John says this. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. It is not ridiculous to think that, God, that Jesus did more of these kinds of miracles. We have, a, we have selected in the Gospels some of them. This miracle is seen by John as one of the many signs that God uses to strengthen faith, to strengthen our faith in Jesus. What is the role of, of signs and wonders in, in faith? That's, that's my question here. It, it, first of all, it's, it's clear that the signs and wonders that Jesus did, everyone said that was incredible. They, didn't, they knew that something different, something extraordinary had happened. No one denied that the supernatural had happened when Jesus did things. The religious leaders, they said, he's doing incredible things by the power of, the of Satan, the prince of demons, Beelzebub. But they never said, they never said it was not happening. That it was easily confirmed that it was happening. The next thing is that Jesus had some tough things to say about those who insist that their faith be confirmed by signs. He has some hard things to say about that. He called him an evil. Listen to, to, to um, uh, what he says in Matthew chapter 38, 40. Evil generation. Some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. They're asking for a sign because they're, they're, they're cynics. They're skeptical. He answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights heart of the earth. The sign, the only sign that I'm going to give the skeptics is a sign of Jonah. Three days, three nights. I'm talking, of course, about the resurrection. He was three days, three nights in the belly of the earth. Jesus himself was. And it's also interesting that in, in Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells a story about the rich man and Lazarus. And in that story, the man is, he's, he's in turmoil in, 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 in the place of Hades. And he wants to go and warn his, he wants to go back to the earth and warn his brothers. And Jesus, and, and the, the parable says, 
even if someone were to come from the dead, man, still, they still, your brother still wouldn't believe. Interesting. The, the sign of three days and three nights, even that doesn't convince some people. Jesus says that in the, in the parable of Luke 16. How do people become convinced? How do people come to faith? Faith is created by the Word of God and the Spirit of God doing that, that supernatural work in our hearts. That's how it happens. The Spirit of God and the Word of God coming together. Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing the Word of Christ. It can come through a human voice. It can come from a written word. The gospel. The Holy Spirit draws and affirms the truth of the gospel when the gospel is understood. It can be proclaimed. It can be read. It can be studied. Yet and still, yet and still, God gives signs. God, God gives signs, doesn't he? Why? I don't think it's to create faith, but to strengthen faith, to stimulate faith that's there, to confirm faith that's already there present in small form. Jesus talked about the, 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 the mustard seed of faith. Science can, 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 can help those with small faith grow to have stronger faith. John tells us in verse 47, this man had enough faith to just go up and, and try to find Jesus, and maybe Jesus could do something. He'd heard Jesus was a miracle worker, maybe Jesus could do something. So he finds Jesus. And his, his faith progresses. Jesus says, your son will live, and he believed the word Jesus spoke in verse 50. In, the, in verse 53, it says, he himself believed and his household. And we believe that, that, that in verse 57, verse 53, the belief there is not just a belief in the fact that there was going to be a healing, but there's a belief in the healer, Jesus. So he began to believe in Jesus. Not just him, but his household. John 20, 30, 31. God has given many, many signs, many, many signs, pointing us to the reality that the word is be made flesh. The Son of the living God has come to the world in a sinless body, died that we might have life eternal. Have you trusted him? Have you trusted in him? Experiences in our lives confirm the trustworthiness of God who gives his word and strengthens our faith. We heard in the scripture reading, uh, talking about uh, Abraham, Romans chapter 4. In that passage, it says this, No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Abraham grew in his faith. You remember the story of Abraham? Abraham was a pagan in Ur of Chaldees, and God called him to go. Just relocate. Go, and I'll tell you where to go. And he did that. And, 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 and then later, God told him, you, you and your wife Sarah are going to have a baby. He said, I'm old. She's old. How are we going to have a baby? He believed God. He had a baby. And, but then the, 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 the high, high point of his life was probably in chapter 22 when God says, that baby that's going to bless the world, I want you to take that baby up to Mount Moriah and sacrifice it. There's a picture there of that. There's a drawing of that, not a picture of it. Take that baby, and that made no sense to him. What? How's this baby going to be? How is Isaac going to be the child of promise if I'm going to kill him? And of course, God had a ram in the bush. God had, had a, a sacrifice. Uh, that, that, and so the angel says, don't, don't, don't kill him. Don't slay him. Now I know that you truly trust God. God had a solution to that dilemma, and God built his faith up, and, show, and his faith was shown to be righteousness. And, and then, then uh, King David, another example. You, you know the story of David and, and Goliath, how he slay, slew Goliath. Uh, the, the, the champion of the Philistines. Well, where did he get the faith to do that? Well, it's probably because he'd been a shepherd and he'd been uh, addressing the, all the many smaller obstacles 
that he had faced in protecting his sheep. God had built his faith up. And now, huh, Goliath, the Philistine, he ain't nothing. He ain't nothing. Who are you to come against the, the armies of the living God? David had strong faith at that point. You know the story of the Hebrew boys in, in, in the book of Daniel? They, 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 they were in the furnace, and then they looked. They, they, the, 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 the purpose of it was to kill them. They kept making it hotter and hotter and hotter, and they looked in there, and there were not just three. There were four figures in the furnace. Their faith, and yet before that, they declared, Lord, even if we, we perish, we're not going to... Um, abide by the king's uh, decree. They were willing to die for their faith. That's how strong their faith was. Where did they get faith that was that strong? Well, you got to start back in the beginning of the book. <laughs> when they begin with, their, with God's building faith in them through Daniel and through the experiences that they had with the other kings. God builds faith. God strengthens faith. God gives us experiences that strengthen our faith. That's who our God is. He's building faith in each one of us. And the last thing, the last point is verses 51 and 53. God comes to us in the seventh hour. There's a seventh hour thing going on in this passage. You see what happened. The, the father went to find Jesus uh, 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 leaving the servants behind in Capernaum with a sick and dying son. The servants are there and, and waiting, and they're watching the boy, and, and at some point the boy began to get better. Began to be, he began to rally, and, and they got excited. They began to say, wow, what's happening here? And, and by the time the official returned, they, they, they had good news. They had good news for him. And he had good news for them because he was encouraged that maybe Jesus was going to do something. And in fact, Jesus had done something. And so they, 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 they collected their notes and, and they realized that it was at the same hour, the same hour that Jesus spoke the word that the child would be alive was the hour that he began to recover. What hour was it? It was the seventh hour. It was 1 p.m., the seventh hour. But look at this. For several hours, the boy was getting better. He was being healed. But those servants didn't know why. They just thought it was coincidence. They just thought it was, oh, maybe his body's being restored by natural um, causes. They didn't know that God had done the miracle through Jesus until, until they heard clearly from the ruler. That's what I call, I call, I'm calling that a seventh hour experience, where there's this, this period of time where you see something good has happened, but you don't, want, you don't know if it's God doing it or if it's just coincidence. And we all have those kind of things happen. And what happens is, after, you, you, after the incident's over and you begin to reflect upon it, you begin to connect the dots and see that God was clearly in control of the situation. When you're going through it, you're not sure. You're not sure how it's going to work out. But God does that. God does that. And it strengthens our faith tremendously. I remember um, after seminary, I, went to, uh, I was hoping to get a call in, in our denomination. And, and there, were, there weren't a lot of um, churches for African-American pastors to pastor, to be frank, in that day. And so I, I was being uh, um, courted by a church in, uh, in Miami, Florida, to plant a church for them. And um, we were excited about that. We went a couple times, and, and the system was set up where we would um, have leadership. We, we really liked the way it was structured. And so we, we were also here in Baltimore preaching once a month at, at Forest Park Church where I had been attending all these years from, um, because they didn't have a pastor at that point. And they were, they, were, they were urging me to apply to be pastor of the church, but I didn't want to be pastor of that church because the Bible says a prophet is not without honor his own country, and I believe that. And they were saying, but yeah, but this isn't your country. Your country's D.C. This is Baltimore. Apply. 
I said, no, no. So, so anyway, so, so it came to the point where I deci- we, we decided that God was calling us to Miami. We said yes to the call in Miami to go plant a church in Miami. Uh, we called our real estate agent, Ernest, and he, and he, he said, well, let's, let's sell your house. So we, sold, we, we had a, a buyer for the house, and we thought everything was ready to roll. And then that was in July. And so we, you know, we, we're excited. We're telling people we're leaving. September, he, I get a phone call from one of the leaders of the, the movement down in Miami. He said, something's changed. The leadership structure of what you uh, have put together isn't going to work. It's not, it's not what you thought it was going to be. You can still come, but it's going to be a different structure. We've got to figure out what the leadership looks like. He says, and I know if you want to pull out, do that. So we decided we better pull out because we were going to something that wasn't what we had set up, what we thought the Lord had for us. Um, then there was, but there was just one small problem. We already sold our house, we thought. <laughs> what are we going to do? Okay, so, we, so we said, okay, it, are we going to trust God? Or what, what are we going to do here? So we said, okay, let's start looking for an apartment. Let's look for a house. Let's look for where we're going to live at that point in our life. It was, it was four of us at that point. And, uh, and then about a month or so later, we got a call from our agent, Ernest. He says, well, guess what? That guy who had such great, he looked, his credit looked so great. He was a VA guy. Yeah, he didn't have good credit. He, he didn't get it. He didn't get it. So the house is still yours. We said, wow. <laughs> we said, wow. What God, what God, God had protected us in incredible ways that we didn't know what he was doing. And we looked back and said, wow, that's what God did. That's what God did. And the main thing, the main thing God did was he confirmed in me that I was to stay in Baltimore. Because to me, that was too easy to do. I gotta, I'm going to go for God, you know, like Abraham. No, God confirmed that I was ready to go, but he wanted me to stay. Two other things about that. Then, I'll, then we'll be done. The year, within the year, two things happened. One, the area that we had been looking at houses in Florida was torn apart by Hurricane Andrew. <laughs> what if we'd been there? We'd have been in that situation. The second thing was, within a year, within a year and a half, Terry became pregnant with our triplets. What if we'd have been in Florida, away from all of our family, both of our families, and she had triplets. We didn't know that God was protecting us for what was happening. We were in the seventh hour situation. But God knew. By his grace, God will do those things for you if you, if you continue to just hold on to him and trust him. He wants to strengthen our faith so that we can see him do kind of crazy things like that. Am I promising that every situation will end up like that? No, because I wish all my situations ended up like that. But I have enough of them to know that I can continue to trust my God. I have enough times that I've seen God do that. Psalm 37 says, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as a light, your justice as a noonday. What are the challenges that we face? What are the challenges that you face? Is there a crisis on your job? Is there a lack of a job to have a crisis in? Is there a breakdown in some relationship in your life? parent, a, a, a girlfriend, boyfriend, spouse, whatever, a child? Is there sickness that's troubling you, your, you or a loved one? What are the challenges in, that, that you're facing, which are also opportunities for God to show himself as he, trust, as he works in your life, as he strengthens your faith? How do we respond? We respond by just worshiping him because he's all wise and we're not, and we just continue to hold on to his hand. We Respond by, by prayerfully trying to stay close to him, casting all of our cares upon him, just like, that, just like that father did. He cast himself on Jesus for help. That's what we do. 
by reading the Word of God. Faith comes by reading, hearing the Word of God. Privately, in Bible study, in community groups, as it's preached, and by believing in Him and watching Him strengthen your faith. Let's pray. But God, you are a personal God. 